Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. So this week on the podcast, I am really excited to have the wonderful comedian, Bella Younger, who you might also know as Deliciously Stella on Instagram. You have how many squillions of followers? Um, I have 135,000. It's quite good going. It's quite a lot. How do, <laughs> do you have to turn notifications off? Oh, no, I can't have notifications on because I think my phone would just collapse. It would just explode. That's a it's, a, it's a nice problem to have. Or is it? This we will come to. Mm. Bella, we start each podcast with one seemingly simple question that we ask each other all the time and we go yeah I'm fine but we want you to answer it honestly how are you right now today I really feel really great today I wasn't sure if I was going to because I had two 30th this weekend I thought I might feel a bit sorry for myself but I actually feel brilliant so I'm very pleased so you were out partying yes I was did you hit it hard I did I hit it pretty hard tell me I like want to live vicariously through you um so I went I went out on Friday and ended up drinking whiskey in my friend's bar until about four in the morning and then I went to my friend's house in Hertfordshire and then I went to um a couple of stand-up shows I know I must have been the worst audience participant ever because I was just nursing some red wine and squawking so I was the worst but I feel fine today. How old are you? 30. That's why you feel fine, because yeah. you're young. No, but that's good, because I used to go on benders, prodigious benders, and Mondays were heinous. <laughs> I don't know why I'm using such old-fashioned language. <laughs> <laughs> Mondays, I used to find that the physical hangover was there on, like, the Sunday. Mm. And then that would clear on the... Well, it wouldn't clear, but it would certainly kind of lift yeah. on the Monday. And then I was left with the sort of the come down I guess yeah my friend's mum calls it suicide Tuesday and we would always go and stay with her in Cornwall after we'd been at secret garden party and on the Tuesday she says that we would all just be completely mute just these awful sort of 21 year olds complaining and she was like snap out of it you're in Cornwall you're having a lovely time and we were just like suicide Tuesday Georgie we can't it was horrid (laughs) so if anyone's listening to this right now feeling crap because of a bender know that it will pass yes these things must pass. Now, Bella, you've got a really interesting story. So can we start from the beginning? Yes, of course. So you are a comedian. Mm-hmm. Do I have to call you a comedian? I don't know. I don't really mind either. I know some people are particular about it. But yeah, a comedian's fine. A comic. Yeah, a comic. Stand-up comic. Talk us through what happened with Deliciously Stella, because it's so funny. <laughs> and it was such a brilliant... I mean, you used to post up things like avocado and eggs on toast but the eggs would be Haribo eggs yeah exactly 
So basically, I decided I was going to quit my job in television where I was researching documentaries and I wanted to become a comedian. And rather than just sort of hit the circuit like a normal person, I booked myself an hour at the Fringe in Edinburgh for a whole month. So you just quit your job and just went, I'm going to the Edinburgh Festival. Like, no, yeah. no pressure, Bella. Yeah, 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 I did that. <laughs> I emailed the people and I pitched and they gave me the spot and I had four months to write this hour-long show and I was like, what am I going to do? This is a disaster. So didn't go out for four months, wrote it fine, took it to Edinburgh and then realised that nobody knows who I am. So I started an Instagram account called Deliciously Stella, which parodied Eat Clean and all those lovely Fitspo girls and everyone who organises ingredients in bowls. And it went nuts. And suddenly I had a tiny corner mention in Grazia. And I was like, I'm the most famous person in the world. (laughs) And then I went to Edinburgh and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the end of my show, there were 200 people standing on the street trying to get into my show to listen to me talk in the basement of this pub. And it was bananas. And I got an agent and it all went very well. But... But, but lo and behold, but I found it very, very difficult to well, suddenly have so many eyes on me. Yeah, so let's, because this is something that I think is such a new thing, becoming a social media star. It's so different not being one. I don't really know what it feels like. But do you feel like you had to post every day? Did you feel like you had to perform? So not just during that hour in the yeah. pub, <laughs> but 24-7. Yeah, absolutely. So much pressure. I was posting every day. And, you know, I was essentially playing a character in all areas of my life. So if I met anyone who was interested in the account, I'd have to sort of be more like Deliciously Seller, even though I wasn't necessarily like that at all. So, I mean, I I eat junk food and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I don't eat junk food all the time. (laughs) And I sort of felt like I'd have to wear a balaclava to buy courgettes. And in case someone called you a hypocrite. In case, in case somebody called me a hypocrite. And it all got very stressful and it, it sort of it came to a head when um, I'd been feeling a bit dodgy. I'd had mental health problems before, but I'd been feeling pretty bad. But it was very different this time because I think the stress of the newfound Instagram fame and the fact that I was having a bit of a dip meant that I got a lot more ill than I would normally very, very quickly. And I was meant to be going on holiday with my friends to sort of relax myself a bit after all the sort of furor of the Edinburgh Festival and something just flipped. And I aggressively faked hand one of my toes, listened to Beyonce's running 279 times on repeat. Wow, that is a good song. Yeah, it's a great song. But I mean, song. is it, yeah, running, running yeah. from myself now. Yeah. That was, I apologise again for my terrible <laughs> voice. Yeah, so I did those things and I was like, "Mm, I'm not sure this is quite right. And I sent my boss a very long email about roads. So my boss was like, I don't think you're very well. I think you should take a few days off. Your boss being... I was working at the Beano magazine at the time. Right. And my boss at the Beano was like, take a step back, go and chill out. They were so lovely about it. They were like, don't worry, we'll pay you to have the sick leave. (laughs) What were you doing at the Beano? Well, after I'd done my Edinburgh show, I moved to the Beano and I was sort of trying to make comedy shows out of their archive. I see. Yeah. A bit like Jason Hazley and Joel Morris, as it have done with the um, Ladybird books. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was doing stuff like that. But I was also going completely mad. So I got a book deal that same week. So I'm bonkers with a book deal, about to go on holiday with my friends. And I got to Spain where I was going on holiday with them and I just went... I can't be here. I can't be here. And I was so worried that they were going to think I was silly because I'd had to take a photo every day. And how was I going to get to the supermarket without a car? And so, so you were like, I have to update this delicious Yeah, I have to update this delicious seller thing because if I don't, my whole career will be over and nothing good will ever happen to me again. 
And so I was just an absolute nightmare and no one was having any of it. And after about two days, I was just like, I'm going to go home to my parents' house. I'm going to fly home. My parents are on their anniversary holiday in Prague. So I'm just calling them crying all the time. And they're so, so worried. But, you know, they're in Prague. What are they going to do? So you couldn't relax? No, I was... couldn't... It was... Just couldn't relax. And I was sort of hallucinating a bit and... What were you hallucinating? I just was so confused about my surroundings. My friend said the scariest thing was he just found me trying to open a glass door. But I couldn't open it. And I'm just standing behind it crying and just trying to open it. And he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, "I, I don't know. And he was just like, we've got to take you home. This is ridiculous. A proper um, breakdown. Proper, proper breakdown. And then I flew home to my parents' house in Scotland in a bikini. And <laughs> I... Uh, you were wearing a bikini and a miniskirt. Yeah, mini- a bikini and a miniskirt. It was March, I think, so that was good. And I, um, I got to Malaga Airport and I called my dad and I said, I need you to quit my job for me because I can't go back. And he was like, hello, you're 28. You just need to quit it. And I was like, I can't. I was like, I'll die if I have to speak to them. I will die. And he was like, right. So my dad had to call out my boss and be like, hello, it's Charlie Younger here. Um, Bella's not coming back. Luckily, everyone was really nice about it and it was fine. But yeah, I sort of arrived in Edinburgh Airport in my swimming costume. And my mum's friend came to pick me up and she had my parents' house keys. But she'd lost my parents' house keys in her castle. So we sort of... (laughs) This is painting a picture. Yeah, so we sort of drove into Harriet's castle where she went to go and find my parents' house keys for the next hour while I sat in her car in a bikini, just like shaking. (laughs) Which is the most miserable time. And then, yeah, my parents flew back and we did the whole, let's go to the hospital and see what they have to say. You so you went to a hospital to the doctor to talk to A&E or...? Yeah, so we went to to A&E to talk about how I could calm down. I was in an absolute state, just screaming, terrified, horrible state. Just exactly what you imagine when someone's just so distressed. It was just awful. My mum took me to the hospital and they were like, we need to get her on some antipsychotic medication now. But I'm very, very intolerant to pills. They make me feel awful. So they had to give it to me in such tiny, tiny doses. My mum's there with a pill cutter, sort of cutting things into quarters. And every time it gets a bit worse, I'd take another quarter and we'd see how it would go. So they think you were having a psychotic episode? Yes. Or you were having a psychotic yeah, episode? Yeah, they were like, she'll be so much more comfortable at home if you can keep her at home for as long as possible around her things with her parents. So I went back to my parents' house and they were sort of on call to NHS Direct all the time, being like, this is happening, should we bring her in? And they were like, no, just give her more of the stuff and she should be okay. So what kind of stuff was happening? Or can you even remember? I mean, I can't really remember. I just remember it was just so overwhelming, just so much emotion that it was just scary and you just don't know when it's going to stop and all you want is just to, to feel numb and feel nothing, but you can't, you're just so terrified. Did you get a diagnosis? So they were like, we think you've got bipolar. I was like, okay. And they were like, and you're having a psychotic episode. So I started taking all the drugs for that. What did you have to take? So I was taking an antidepressant and a pretty heavy duty antipsychotic, Uh which made me put on a lot of weight very, very quickly. They're like, this one's not really that bad for weight gain. Two days later, you're like... But also, it just is like... These are used quite frequently and mm. it can be kind of quite a frightening thing because you think, oh my God, am I literally going to be locked in a padded cell? Yeah. But they're quite commonly used in conjunction with quote unquote normal 
antidepressants. But I remember when I took it, I had to just accept that for the next four hours. I remember taking one, going to a friend's for lunch. I going with my husband and my daughter and we were going to friends for a Sunday lunch or something. And I got it and I was so looking forward to taking it because I was feeling so mental. Sorry, this is supposed to be about you, Bella, but I'm just... No, go I'm for just, it. I'm like, the story resonates with me. <laughs> and I was so desperate and in such a bad place that I just took my first one. I went to the chemist that morning, took one in the car on the way. And then before I'd even sat down for lunch at my friend's, I fell asleep. I had to go and sleep in my best friend's daughter's bed for three hours. I missed the entire lunch. They are such horrible things. I just don't know how they haven't worked out how to give us something not that bad. Like, why does it make me so fat? I mean, the worst is I... So I moved back in with my parents on my 28th birthday and then I got put on antipsychotics and I shat myself because I was intolerant to them. Okay. So my dad came back from work and he goes, how was your birthday? And I went, shat myself. <laughs> he was like, oh, God. But this is, this is also it's really important to talk about the reality yeah. series. Even while it was happening, I was going, someday this will be funny. Is it funny now? Some bits are funny, but some bits are just so awful. It was really, really dreadful, but my sister was like, it's quite funny that you shut yourself. <laughs> I want to ask you how, you know, were you outside? No, I, was, I don't, wasn't. I'm hoping no one's listening to this while, like, in the kitchen, making their breakfast, lunch, dinner. Oh, this evening, I'm really looking forward to going home and listening to this podcast. Yeah, exactly. While I make myself a healthy dinner. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I know, it was awful. It was just absolutely awful. I just, all medication makes me feel awful. I read the back of the packet of antidepressants just to see what the side effects were, and they are unbelievable. One of them is, might have symptoms of Parkinson's disease. (laughs) Sorry, Ocean, they are so long. One of them's, walks with a stoop. (laughs) <laughs> drools and I'm like I should put these on my Tinder profile there's like, also like hair rash and there's a lot about incontinence yeah. and inability to come <laughs> oh inability to come right up there although at the time I don't think I was like really that oh I don't think anybody was interested in coming anywhere near me while I'm just sort of <laughs> screaming into a vacuum but still ah. one has to think about these things yes as a young woman in their 20s exactly I remember that I remember my grandfather being put on antidepressants because he was having this heart operation. It wasn't because he was depressed. Oh, yeah. Or maybe he was depressed. I can't really remember. It was a long time ago. But I was on antidepressants and he said, what are the main symptoms, you know, the side effects? And I was like, oh, it affects your libido. (laughs) And he looked at me like, I must have been 18. He must have been (laughs) 78. You remember him once saying to me, by the time you're 25, you're either going to be in prison (laughs) or something else. Oh, no. Luckily, it was something else. I loved my granddad so much. He's dead now. Oh, no. He can't hear this. I'm really sorry, Petey. I love you. God, I'm I'm actually having a breakdown during the recording of this podcast. (laughs) No, that's the last thing we need. Anyway, sorry. So, side effects. Lots of incontinence. Walking with a stoop. Honestly. Oh, my God. Drooling. Drooling. Teeth grinding. I didn't know that was one. It's so bad. It's so bad for me that I have permanent tinnitus. Um, So I clenched my jaw so badly, I now have ringing in my ears for the rest of my life. No, this is a really interesting thing. I do that quite a lot at night. Yeah. But when you're depressed, it's the tent. You're just like... Yeah, my my anxiety is very, very bad. That also does it. And it's the medication, I think. It's sort of double whammy of the two. 
Do you have any kind of techniques or tips on how to... Yes, actually. So I go to see this woman called Lynn Ray. She's a cheek and jaw masseuse. (gasps) And she will massage inside your face. It's a very strange sensation. But honestly, she loosens everything up so brilliantly. And it's weird. The next day, your face looks a different shape because she's drained all this fluid from the tension. Oh, my God. Where is she? She's based in Clapham. Shut the front door. I live in Clapham. You should go. It's it is meant ex- to it be. It is expensive. Oh. But it is brilliant. I mean, but I don't have to spend anything on travel. Yeah. I can just exactly. walk there. Just walk there. <laughs> it will change your life. It's brilliant. Oh, my God. That's so exciting. Yeah. Anyway, so there you were. So you're quite intolerant to medication. Yeah. I should say now that this is... <laughs> please don't let this put you off taking medication. Oh, no, I'm on a medication I- now when nothing happens to me and so- I feel great. So there you were, and they, they, the doctor said to you, we think you've got bipolar and are having a psychotic episode. Mm-hmm. You're like, great. I was like, cool, these are all things I've always wished for. <laughs> what a dream. <laughs> were you still posting on Instagram? Every single day. So I would be weeping on my mother, and then I'd go, will you please strap some crunchies to my stomach and take a picture of me pretending to do sit-ups? And she'd be like, yes, darling. So my mum was sort of a nurse and a photographer at the same time. Wow. Were you kind of obsessively monitoring the likes and the... Mm. Yeah, no, I had a repetitive strain injury in my thumb because I just scrolled all day. And at some point around that time when I was living with my parents, I went viral on BuzzFeed. So I got 70,000 new followers overnight. And I was doing all these interviews with the US and Russia and all this sort of stuff. And it was crazy, crazy, crazy. And that's when I started getting offered, you know, money to do stuff. And I really thought that maybe Instagram could become my career. My parents were incredibly worried. They could see what it was really doing to me. And they were just like, no, maybe we just go and get a normal job now. And we just go back to, you know, something a bit more sane. Did they ever kind of try and take the phone off you? It was so hard for them, I think, because all they wanted to do was just, you know, throw the phone in the pond and just stop the whole thing but they also saw how much it meant to me that I was making people laugh for a living which is what I'd always wanted to do so even though I don't think I should have done a second Edinburgh show because I wasn't well enough they couldn't be the ones to say no because I would never forgive them so you were ill and you had also signed up to do another Edinburgh show yes yeah you've written about this a couple of times before when I read it your description of what it was like to be ill but to have this sort of huge deadline looming towards you I had such recognition yeah and that thing that if you you cannot not do it because the world's gonna end yeah you know and actually in reality I mean obviously people take mental illness more seriously now but there's still this kind of perception people can't see it it's not tangible I mean of course it's very tangible to you when you're in the throes of it but it's not infectious and there's that sense that if you call up and tell them that you're having a breakdown, there's a sort of a weakness. And of course, it's not. And, yeah. I, and I think one of the things I've learned only really recently, like I took three months off. Work gave me three months off and I went into treatment. And it was it was such a relief yes. not having to keep that facade up. Mm. I really felt your pain. My jaw and stomach really clenched when I read your account of that. So just so that everyone else listening can also feel slightly sick, (laughs) could you tell them, Bella, about what that was like? When I went into hospital? Well, so you were preparing for an Edinburgh show and and then you were hospitalised. Yeah, so I was preparing for an Edinburgh show and I absolutely did not want to do it. 
it was keeping me up at night. I was absolutely terrified. And because of the, with the first show, I had nothing to lose. I didn't know if anyone was going to come. It was fine. With the second show, I knew it was already selling out and that I was going to get reviewed. Lots of producers were going to come. And, you know, the stakes were raised a huge amount very early on in my career. And I panicked so much. And I was so, 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 so terrified. So I got checked into the Priory because I became afraid to get out of my bed. Mm-hmm. So I called my mum and I was like, if I put one foot on the ground, I'll die. She was like, no, this is not right. This does not sound good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't get out. I can't get out. If I don't get out, I, w- I won't be able to do my show. So I'm just not going to get out. And she was just like, right, okay, so I think you need to maybe maybe go to the hospital. So I spoke to my doctor and got referred to the Priory, went in there, had an absolute meltdown like, on the floor of the office there. And they were like, no, we, we must take you in. What was that like? I mean, it was it was extraordinary because there was always a part of me, almost imposter syndrome me, where I thought they'd turn me away because I wasn't ill enough. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's no way I'm actually ill enough to be here. So I went in and I told them how I felt and they went, yes, you're, you're staying here for at least a month. And was that quite mind-blowing? Really, really scary. I was like, oh, God, really, 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 really? And they were like, yes, you're very, very sick. You've, you've got to stay. So they sort of got me ready and I think... With the relief of being there and being safe, I then, like, I lost all ability to do anything. I couldn't stand up without fainting. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't do anything. I just sort of collapsed. My whole body shut down. And I would just lie in my bed with the curtains drawn, just being like, you're fine, you're safe, you're safe. Like, nothing can happen. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do anything ever again. And everyone used to call it my K-hole. Whenever I walked around, they'd be like, oh, that's, that's the girl who's lost her mind and can't sort of do anything wow it was really really bizarre and I was like what have you put me on I can't move and they were like we haven't put you on anything it's just your body's reaction to you know sort of the antithesis of the extreme anxiety that it was in before wow so you were in there, but you did still have the Edinburgh show. Oh, my God. I still had the Edinburgh show, and I was writing the Edinburgh show in the hospital. So I had all my notes, and I knew I had to do it. And about two weeks in, I went, I'd like to go out and do my previews that I've got booked. And my doctor was like, we really would rather you didn't. And I was like, well, I'm not under section. You haven't been sectioned. So yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. So I would get in an Uber from the Priory, to the theatre. So you were in London yeah, at this point, right? Yeah, I was in Roehampton. And then I'd, yeah, I'd get an Uber to the theatre. I would do my show. And then everyone would be like, oh, can you stay for a drink after the show? And I'd be like, no, sorry, I must go. And then I'd get an Uber back to the Priory. It's just extraordinary. It was ridiculous. And it's not like I'm some hugely famous comedian who was selling out the O2. You know, I was performing to a room of about 30. I could have just cancelled it, but... Somehow I couldn't compute that I should have just cancelled those things. And I was I then started taking meetings when I was in the Priory. So I'd get a little Uber to a production company and they'd be like, do you get nervous before gigs? And I was like, yeah, very, very nervous. And they went, careful, you don't want to end up in a mental hospital. I had my Priory slippers in my backpack. Wow. And I was like, if I don't meet this person, I'll never meet them again and, and I'll never get these opportunities. So that's the sort of the kind of huge weight and pressure also I guess there is that sense nowadays that if things are happening you've got to just kind of go with them yeah exactly do you look back on that and go whoa I mean of course you do I look back on that and I go I should have done that show a year later and it would have been fine I didn't have to do it then I should have been pulled out of all my responsibilities they should have said 
she's not well, by the way. Let me get better. And then we could have looked at doing the show a year later. I don't think there was any need to sort of jump on the zeitgeistiness the way that we did. Did you have an agent? Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't just her decision. It was both of our decisions. But I feel like someone... Should have had a duty of care. Yeah, had a duty of care to make sure that I didn't do that. Because, I mean, performing the show was essentially self-harm. It was awful. The first night, I was so nervous. My sister gave me a clonazepam and I forgot how to speak. So someone had to go into the lighting box and get my script and bring it down to me on stage. And I then just read the rest of my lines in a sort of fog. Wow. It was an absolute nightmare. And I was on such a strong antipsychotic at that point as well that I basically had no emotions or personality. So I was performing this show, not really knowing what I was doing. I couldn't really intonate or anything because I was, I was a zombie. Did anyone say anything to you? And my sister was like, because obviously she knows me so well, she was flowering for me and she was like, it's like you're not there, it's like you're not inside you and it's weird. And she said, I just had no personality at all. And I convinced myself that maybe I just changed. I was like, maybe people's personalities just do change over time and I've become this you know, very introverted wallflower who doesn't want to talk to anyone and doesn't want to do anything. And actually it's just because the medication was so strong that I couldn't be myself. But then if I wasn't on it, I was so anxious, mm. I couldn't be myself either. So you sort of stuck between a rock and a hard I place. I was, I was stuck between a rock and a hard place at Edinburgh. Yeah, so tell me, so you went to Edinburgh. Yes. To do your show. I did. But what was that like? Well, it was pretty horrific. It was really bad. Because Edinburgh is an incredibly stressful thing for any comedian. It's long and hard and you spend all day doing promo, it's very competitive, lots of people competing to get audiences Mm. and the only way to really make it fun is to go out and get pissed every night with your friends but when you're very very sick the last thing you want to do is go and make a load of alcohol in your body go and put a load of alcohol in your body and also go out and go make friends with people who you don't really know Mm. so I would do my show and then I was staying with some really good friends of mine and then I just sort of toddled down the hill have dinner with them and then go to bed and they must have been so worried about me as well. They just didn't really know what was happening. I sort of mooched around a cloud of misery. And my parents lived quite nearby, so I'd sometimes go home. But I had no sort of social life. It was literally worry about the show, do the show, try and sleep, will it to end. It was just the most horrific month. Was it worth it? No, absolutely not. What were the reviews like? <laughs> the reviews were actually pretty good. I think I had a very good PR and I said to her... I'm not feeling great, and if I get a bad review, I don't want you to tell me about it. I want you to try and hide it from me. So she was very careful in who she chose to come and review the show, and it was lots of student papers that will be run by the kind of girl that I very much appeal to. Right, yeah, And because yeah. of the love for the Instagram, I think I got a bit of leeway. And so I got some really lovely reviews, because the idea for the show, I think, was still great. Mm. The problem was that I was struggling a little bit to actually perform it, and the writing was good. But me being on a stage wasn't ideal. Gosh, so that was last... No, sorry, that was... Two years ago, so I didn't do it last year. 2016. Yeah. How did you get better? You know, how did you pull yourself out of that particular breakdown? It just happened. It just happened very, very slowly. I'd stopped taking the antipsychotic, so I got a bit of my personality back. And I upped the dose on my antidepressant. And... I have a brilliant, brilliant therapist and I think that she's helped over and above everything else. 
Do you do clean eating? <laughs> Absolutely not, no. <laughs> I do not. I'd love it if you went. And I found yeah, that the And I have really was... found that avocados have been really, really helpful. No. <laughs> In fact, if everyone just ate avocados, they could cure their depression. Yeah, exactly. Like, antidepressants don't work. Green juice is great. <laughs> no, I didn't do anything like that. I just, I think the only thing with depression is time. Time yeah. is what you need. And you've just got to sit tight. I know it's really bad. But it will get better. Hold on. Yeah, hold on. And I genuinely didn't think I could get better. I was ill for over two years. And I knew you could get ill for a long time, but I didn't know you could be that ill for that long. And that's why I was like, I'm not getting better. I know I won't. So I met you, I don't know, was it Stylist? Stylist Live, yeah. So that was last October, was it? November. November. Yeah. So how were you then? Still a bit dodge. Because I kind of felt like we bonded because I was like, um, I've just come here from rehab. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was, I was pretty anxious that day. I was doing a panel with Nimco Ali, the amazing FGM Oh, I love Nimco. Yeah. So it's Nimco and I, and they, she was talking about death threats. And I was like, sometimes some swimmers say that I'm not very healthy. Like, we were just so misplaced. And I was, <laughs> felt like such a like idiot comic relief type person. You know what, though, Bella, that feeling of less than is so common. And the reason why Deliciously Seller took off and continue, you know, you still post, you know. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I mean, your stuff during the Victoria's Secret catwalk <laughs> show, it was just fucking brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like a Victoria's Secret model, Victoria's shameful secret. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Victoria's actual secret. <laughs> like, <laughs> But I think it's just that thing that I really love and really, the humour, A, but also it's so boring having to be perfect, isn't it? It really is. And And it's just not possible. And that's the other thing. It's not possible. Have you ever met Deliciously Ella? No. So I was once in a restaurant and she was there with her husband and I was about to eat a sticky toffee pudding. She was ordering, God knows, dust. And my friend and I were like, I think we should leave now because it's going to be awkward. You'd probably really get on. No, she really doesn't like me. Really? Yeah. Very much doesn't like it. Really? Yeah, and I, and I feel bad because I didn't think it was going to get so big. It's just it's a bit of fun. But it's also, it's, it's she fun. should be flattered. I thought so. I don't dislike her at all. She's a brilliant businesswoman, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I think it's nonsense that she's telling people to stop eating gluten. But, you know, she might think it's nonsense that, you know, I do lots of things. One of my favourites was the six-pack working on your six pack with a six pack of Stella oh, no. <laughs> on your tummy <laughs> that is one of my favourites as well that was one of my first ever jokes I came up with I was like oh no do that I would really love to hear what your tips are to people that might be because you, know, you don't have to have hundreds of thousands of followers to become obsessed with your social media and with the likes and with the yeah. and oh I've got to post something today or I've got to how do you stay sane now or do you not are you still are you no still, I, have you come here from the Priory Bella <laughs> <laughs> actually no I'm so much more sane with it and it's because I just don't give myself a regimen at all I post when I find something funny on the internet or when I have an idea when I'm eating something, I no longer go to the supermarket and trawl the aisles looking for jokes. I don't treat it as a career anymore. I treat it very much as a sort of a hobby that gratefully happens to make me money sometimes. But, you know, I'm not an Instagrammer. That's not my job. And I think that's what I thought I was going to do. Mm. And I think that having your whole life be about that thing is just not okay. It's not helpful. I think relying on all those likes is incredibly unhealthy. Mm. It doesn't have any longevity. And it has absolutely no longevity. And I thought that the Digitally Seller would wrap up after six months and 
we'd never speak about it again. And, you know, now we're two and a half years later and it still exists. And I'm a bit like, I've told that joke a lot of times now. But people still love it. People still love it. And that is great. But so I'm going to have to nip it in the bud. <laughs> so what's next? I'm writing scripts and trying desperately to get them commissioned, which is really, really tough. But I've been given such an amazing platform because of Stella that people do take me seriously and I can get people to read things and hopefully, fingers crossed, I will eventually get one of them made. And then also, I still do Stella stuff to keep me alive and I do a bit of writing. I write for Telegraph sometimes. You do? Yeah. So I'm just doing lots of bits, got my fingers in lots of pies. Sticky banoffee pies. Sticky banoffee pies, not, exactly. Not gluten-free, flour-free. Oh, no, absolutely not. Whatever-free. I actually, last week, I went on a boot camp. Oh, yeah? It was a vegan-based diet, and it was delicious. Mm. And then came back, and I was like, I'm going to make some chia seed pudding. I mean, it looked, it, it tasted disgusting, and my husband was like, what the fuck is, what? No. And I went on my Instagram, right, and I was like, look, Saturday night, I'm making chia seed pudding. And uh, people were, like, messaging me, going, oh, could you give me the recipe? And I was like, No. The moment you start handing out recipes on Instagram, it's all over. No. You are not this person. Also, any recipe I put up, someone will get food poisoning from. Yeah, Bryony, you can't poison the nation. No, no, no <laughs> I don't have that many followers. Bryony Gordon, poisoner. <laughs> but there's a line you've got to draw where you're like, <laughs> it's okay to do a bit of exercise and eat healthily, but you've got to have some fun. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh. It's all about balance. Everything in moderation. I personally hate chia seed pudding, but that's because it tastes like frog spawn to me. But, you know, I've not got anything against a lovely courgette. Or, you love a courgette, I love clearly. courgettes. Avocado on toast, delicious. I wish I'd bought, because I made a lot of chia seed pudding on Saturday really? night. I wish I'd bought you some. No. It tastes like cardboard. I think it tastes like frog spawn. I'm really hungry now, and I only had it about three hours ago. Uh, well, that's just no way to be, is it? It's probably time I had a cinnamon pretzel in the... Victoria Station because I was early I was like yeah I think sometimes you know they're like slow releasing energy I'm like this is so slow releasing it's just drip feeding you I'm any joy I'm actually <laughs> starving <laughs> I haven't actually got the energy yet oh no Bella thank you so much oh anytime thank you so much for having me it's been so fun and you bring humour to what I know is a really serious yeah, I don't subject. want to be flippant because no, no, it, it no, was you're... a truly terrible time. Uh, no, I don't. But I think it's really important that people know and that anyone might be going through a similar thing right now. They can listen in their beds, in their K-holes. Mm. You know, they could be listening to this right now and know that even though it's absolutely terrible at that time, it won't always be like that. Like you're sitting here, you've had your cinnamon pretzel. I have. You know, the world is your oyster. Oysters, we could have some oysters. Oh, that'd be lovely. Ooh. Yeah, we'll just kick off the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. And if you do want to follow, add to her significant amount of followers. Is it just at Deliciously Stella? At Deliciously Stella, exactly. Thank you, Thank Bella. You. Not Stella. <laughs> If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in our podcast today, a comprehensive list of mental health services is available on our website, which is www.telegraph.co.uk forward slash madworld. If you want help right now, the following organisations offer free and confidential support over the phone. The Samaritans can be reached 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116123. Or you can contact the mental health charity Mind for advice on a range of mental health issues. Their phone number is 0300 123 
3393. That's 0300123393. And they're accessible 9am to 5pm, Monday to Friday, excluding bank holidays. Finally, there's Young Minds, who provide support if you're a parent or a carer worried about a child's welfare. They're on 0808 802 5544. That's 0808 802 5544. And remember this, you are not alone. Hi, I'm Emily Cronin. If you're enjoying this podcast from The Telegraph, why not try Fashion Unzipped? It's a show where we invite you into the conversations we have every day on the fashion desk. All the chat, none of the deadlines. Plus, you get to hear from designers. Whether it's glitter or leopard, we just can't get enough of it. Supermodels. There was only one girl every year that was a plus-size model that had her big moment. And then that's all you would see of those girls. And some of the brightest minds in fashion. His legacy is the epitome of style and chic. Subscribe to Fashion Unzipped by searching Fashion Unzipped on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast supplier. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 